Greetings, Divine Spirit. Welcome to Deepen in the Divine Radio with your host, Scott Kreitza, author, intuitive, and seeker of the divine. On the show, you'll hear topics ranging from A Course in Miracles, Forgiveness, Communicating with Spirit, and Intuitive Guidance. I'll also have special guests and authors to bolster your spiritual knowledge, practice, and experiences. So sit back, close your eyes, and get ready to deepen with the divine. All right. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 15th episode of Deepen in the Divine Radio. I'm your host, Scott Kreitza, K-R-Y-T-S-A, and I'm looking forward to today's guest, who I'll introduce shortly. But first, a quick reminder that my new novel, The Spirit That Moves Mountains, is now available on Amazon.com. This is a story based on A Course in Miracles of Yeshua and his wife, Mary Magdalene, and how they practice total devotion to God, Holy Spirit, and practicing forgiveness in Judea over 2,000 years ago. And it's written in the vein of Richard Bach or Paulo Coelho, in that it's a story, but it's also a spiritual teaching aid. So check out The Spirit That Moves Mountains on Amazon.com. Okay, and so let's just jump into this week's A Course in Miracles quote, and it's from the text, chapter 7, section 5, paragraph 3. Healing is the Holy Spirit's form of communication in this world, and the only one he accepts. He recognizes no other because he does not accept the ego's confusion of mind and body. And I think this quote is perfect for uh, because of our next guest and the topic that we're going to be talking about. And so I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Linda Seeger, who is also who is the author of the book Reflections with God While Waiting to Be Healed. All right, so Linda. Welcome to the show, and let's just jump right in. All right. So first, I thought we would start with um, your background and your story, especially as it relates to uh, the health issues that you've been through, the medical problems, and um, what you've done to really resolve those issues as well. Right. Well, I I'm a, um, I work in the film industry, and I work very hard to get a business started. I'm a script consultant. I'm the author of 15 books, and nine of them are in screenwriting. I do seminars around the world. Uh, I sometimes do expert witness work on copyright infringement cases that have to do with screenplays. So I have had a very successful business, and it was hard one. took me a long time to get it going, but it's been very successful since about mid to late 1980s. And... Um, you know, when you're happy and everything is just going really well, we moved to Colorado, I have my dream house, I have a wonderful husband, it's just, you know, really, really wonderful. And one day in 2009, in July, I was sitting and meditating, as I do in the morning, and praying, and had my eyes closed, and my head started to turn involuntarily to the left. Hmm. And I thought, well, what is this? So I turned it back, closed my eyes again, and my head involuntarily turned to the left, and I could not figure out what this was. So I asked my husband, who was a massage therapist, and he said, I don't know what this is, and he sent me to a massage therapist who specialized in medical massage, and she said, this is not muscular, it's neurological, and she sent me to a neurological uh, chiropractor 
and he said it is called dystonia. And dystonia, sometimes called spasmodic torticollis, because that dystonia is a lot easier, um, is an involuntary movement. It's not a tick. It's not a, a jerk. Um, you know, it's not a tremor like you would have in Parkinson's. Um, it's a, I think we might call it a distant cousin to Parkinson's or some of those other neurological problems, but it's not the same. Mm. And um, I, uh, and so this, this doctor in Colorado Springs started, uh, where I live, um, started working with me and he would do the test and it's like, yes, that's what it is. And I worked with him for several months and nothing really was improving. So I was at the end of my rope because it starts to get worse, meaning that the neck gets so fatigued and um, it would turn 70 degrees. So, you know, if I just sat here and uh, especially when I had my eyes closed, but it was just a fight. It was a constant struggle in my, you can imagine what it's like to sleep with this happening. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing with dystonia is that people get it in different places. So I have it in my neck, and it affects the muscles in my neck and in my left shoulder. But people sometimes have general dystonia, and their whole body has this, and they end up in wheelchairs, and I have been in email contact with a few of those. You can get it in your wrist. Um, Hmm. I have a composer who has it in his wrist. I have a, another friend who has it in her forearm. And it's, so it can be localized or it can be very general. But it is, it, it's not like this happens once a day. This is going on. You turn your, you close your eyes and it turns. You close your eyes, it turns. <laughs> so um, after about, basically starting in July, about February, it was just clear the doctor here couldn't help me, and I just didn't know what to do. And um, people who have this, I, I did ask one of my doctors later on, what what do people do or what did they do before they got help? And she said they committed suicide or they put them in a mental hospital. Um, wow. So, you know, if you back 100 years, it's pretty bad. And most of the time, what the doctors do or what a neurologist does is they do a Botox shot. And the Botox shot kind of freezes that muscle, and so it relieves you for a few months, and then it comes back, and then you get another one. And when I went to the neurologist, I said, do you want... You want me to get a shot in my neck every three months for the rest of my life. And he says, yes. And I said, I don't want to do that. And he looked at me, and he turned his back on me and walked out of the room. So there isn't much written online. It's basically about Botox. So a friend of mine said to me, someone in the world is an expert on this. Find that person. So I had a researcher search the world, and we found a doctor in Houston, and um, named Dr. Gail Henry, who the book is uh, Reflections with God, We're Waiting to Be Healed, is dedicated to. Mm-hmm. And I started going there, and at first I went every three or four months, and now I go every month. 
And if you met me, you may not know that I have anything at this point. Um, my head doesn't really turn. Sometimes it gets fatigued. Sometimes it gets stuck to the left, so it's off-center. Um, but I am vastly improved. I am not healed. I'm just vastly improved by, and I do two plus hours of exercises, therapies a day, sometimes up to six hours a day because there's some audio therapies that are in the background um, that I um, that I can do while I'm doing other things. And so my life is very, I have a pretty normal life, but a lot of my life is I have to remember to go do my therapies or to keep this called a tone pacer going in my ear while I'm doing everything else. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and, and because uh, dystonia, basically, they say that there really isn't a cure for it or a way to improve it, aside from, yeah, like you said, Botox, but you found a different way. Yeah, if you go online, every once in a while, there's a story like somebody says, I got better, but they never have a place to email them and say, could you go through this? <laughs> so um, Botox doesn't make you better, although it might have some slight improvements. Uh, my cousin has been doing this. She has dystonia also uh, for 25-plus years, and she said, I would say when the Botox wears off, I'm 25% better than I was 20 years ago. Hmm. But then I have my shot again, and once you go the Botox route, it's very difficult to do an alternative. Um, but in terms of cures... Uh, my my doctor said she has had one or two people that have been totally cured, and I have a I have a second doctor in Colorado Springs who knows my doctor in Houston, and they kind of work together, and so the person in Colorado Springs maintains me uh, okay. in between months. Um, so she said she has had somebody who actually got cured of this, and my doctor in Houston said. You might. And she said, you, your brain has continued to improve. And so you haven't reached your plateau where you've exhausted your therapies. And she says, what we're doing in a sense is we're creating new pathways. And your brain keeps being willing to do that. Hmm. It's, but it has been a long time. It's been over eight years. And, um, uh, and I, I am doing far, far better. I mean, if you said what was your improvement is from my head turning 70 degrees, it's probably when it does get stuck, it's maybe five degrees or so. And most of the time it's straight and it's normal. And in the last year, I have been able to close my eyes without my head turning and to pray and meditate again. Wow, that's incredible. So I, wow. Yeah. So one of the one of the negatives for somebody like me, I'm a, um, I'm a, just tell you something about my background. I grew up Lutheran. I'm a Quaker. Uh, I'm a Christian, but I have been exposed to very very broad um, spiritual disciplines. I have a doctorate in theology, and um, but I mean I've meditated with the Buddhists and I've gone to the New Age 
weekend seminars and I've done my affirmations and <laughs> and you know all of that but a lot of um a lot of that kind of spiritual discipline is somewhat dependent on you being able to close your eyes without your head moving right <laughs> right so when I would do those kind of meditation prayers every morning um, up until it started. That made my day. It's like I felt so in tune with uh, the Holy Spirit and I felt centered and I felt at peace and sometimes I just felt like I was bathed in the presence of God and Mm -hmm. it it was just lovely. And if I went several days without that, I would feel off. Now... Fast, slow forward eight years, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it at all. I couldn't even close my eyes. And so that thing I used to do that got me tuned in was no longer possible. So I had to rethink my spiritual discipline and rethink my relationship with God because it was not going to be dependent on me feeling in tune with God. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all take for granted something as simple as closing our eyes and being able to pray or connect in that way. So, yeah, I'm I'm really fascinated. I want to hear how you learn to basically have that connection again. Well, what what I did, what I had to do, and I'm thankful for my theology background. I spent five years in the seminary, and so I had certain ways of thinking about this. Um, the first way I thought about it was a Jesuit friend of mine once said that, you know, if you have voices and visions and you have that sense of peace, he says, it's all right, it, it'll go away, and done as a joke, which is you are not to be dependent on those experiences. I mean, that that's a theology that says God is there whether or not at that moment you feel centered and in tune. And so I just said to God, you know what? I, I may not feel you, experience you, even feel like I'm getting to know you. You might feel very lost and away from me, but I know and I believe from all that theology I studied, that you are here regardless of whether I feel you are here, and you know my problem. So um, what I would do is I would still try to sit in my meditation chair, and I would talk with my eyes open, and I said, I can't listen to you right now, because (laughs) I just can't listen to you. So I'm going to just talk at times. And I would um, have other people pray for me. And when I went to Quaker meeting, I would stare at the wall. And I said, I will try to be obedient to the disciplines, even though I can't do them. So I did that about seven years. Mm-hmm. And then as things got better, not cured or healed, but improved, um, I did first get to the point I could close my eyes for short periods of time, or my head didn't move as much, and if I put my hands on the side of my neck, I could sort of hold it in place enough. And now as I can close my eyes, and I can stay pretty still, um, because it's been so many years of not doing what I was doing before, I'm not back there. 
at, at this point. I close my eyes. I have trouble concentrating. Once in a while, I get back into that place. So I'm physically able to do it, but mentally and spiritually, I, I can't really quite, most of the time, can't get to that place that, you know, the, the Buddhists and <laughs> the saints and all these people, it's just, it's not that it's easy for anyone, but um, I've just had to admit I'm working. I'm working on this, but I'm also recognizing regardless of what I feel like or my ability, I um, do believe that God is there for me and that God understands, and I just say this is just how it is, but but help me because I, I think now it's within some kind of a grasp of at least having more moments like that. Mm, that's beautiful. And then during that whole process, when did you first get inspired to write Reflections with God while waiting to be healed? Well, I originally imagined a book, you know, about praising God for healing me. And <laughs> after about three or four years, I said it's not going like it's supposed to. <laughs> and I started to um, change my focus. And I think this was somewhat of a spiritual breakthrough for me, is I changed my focus from what I thought it should be and what the scriptures promised me, because there's lots of scriptures about ask and it will be given to you, and I, you know, God is the healer, and um, I, I mean, there are loads of scriptures about those kind of promises that I took somewhat seriously, and I thought, well, you know, like, your health will come quickly. And I said, I don't know, maybe that's a mistranslation of that word, quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, I, I, I guess what I went through was to sort of rethink, to say, obviously, I am stuck in this situation, so what do I make of this? Uh, what what can I do within very narrow parameters? Um, how could I make this work? And what is happening to me? Not instead of asking what isn't happening, which is I got a miraculous healing that I can write about. What is happening between me and God? And um, I started having I, I started going through the Trinity, and I I had various. Experiences and um, with God as the Father and Jesus as my brother and the Holy Spirit as light. And I uh, started thinking of those. And then a, a real major breakthrough for me was I had been thinking of the names for God. Um, in Islam, there's 99 names for God. In Christianity, Judeo-Christian, there's about 300 in Hinduism, I think there's a whole lot of different names for God, right. and many of these are similar. So I had a, um, I only wanted God to be healer and miracle worker. Like, don't, don't give me any of this other stuff. Yep. But I began to say, you know what, the truth is God is not healer and miracle worker for me at this time. So what am I experiencing? And at the depths of the worst 
part of this. By the end of the evening, I really was just almost in despair. Now, because I was spiritual and because I have a great husband, I was upheld to some extent. But I started, night I would just say, God, just help me. And then the next morning I would feel a little more chipper. And so I began to experience God as my strength mm. and as my sustainer and as the one who helps me endure and the one who gives me courage. And I started putting the names for God that I experienced on my mirror. You know, I mean, the little post-its. I had all these post-its. And I began the comforter, like when I just felt I couldn't go on and feeling comforted. um, And so I began to look at those. I said, God is here. It's just not, I'm, I'm wanting this and I'm getting that, so let's... Let's look at that. I'm getting through. I'm somehow, I'm getting through my days, and I'm having the courage for the next day to go and keep doing my therapies, even though I often don't notice that they help or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the problem with therapies on this, it isn't like you do it and then the end of the week you feel improved. You do it, and six months later, you say, "Oh yeah, I'm at a different place than I was six months ago." Right. And so these names of God um, really began to help me. And the other thing that helped me was there's a chapter in Reflections with God called Learning the Virtues that I said, you know, it's really easy to be patient and loving and tenderhearted and kind when you're well. When you've got a problem, that's a virtue because they're harder. I mean, they test you to your very limits of your patience. And you say, well, I'm learning to be virtuous. <laughs> I'm more virtuous after eight years, perhaps, than I was eight years ago. Or at least I think that I'm that there are virt- certain virtues that have come to the forefront that may not have come to the forefront otherwise. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. And I also love uh, in your book, too, you explain the difference between surrender and resignation. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it's really easy for someone to throw up their hands when they're suffering and just say either whatever or I give up. I It would be so easy for me not to do my therapies or um, to just say, I don't know, there's nothing I can do, and or simply say, I want the doctors to heal me, and I don't have any responsibility here. Um, but there is a thing about surrendering to say, this is what my life is right now. What do I, how do I let the movement, whatever the movement of the spirit is at this point in my life, how do I let that happen? How do I surrender? How do I even recognize that, you know what, I might have this the rest of my life. Maybe mm-hmm. not, but mm-hmm. I might. And how do I just say, I um, I try to go, what is, what is the flow? What's the flow of my day that maybe I don't want it to be? I mean, I start my day with an hour to an hour and a half of therapies, 
And one of my doctors said, what you have to do is to look at this and just say, this is what I do. But, oh, <laughs> so instead of saying I have to do my therapy, <laughs> this is what I do every morning. And, okay, so let's just do it and let's get with the program and let me surrender that this is my life and I have to recognize that certain things about my life are different now than I would want them to be or that they would be otherwise, but I surrender to the new rhythm. Uh, it's, mm. it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a sense like your your rhythm has to change. I need to go slower. Um, I, I've always been sort of a fast-paced, very extroverted person to just, you know, breathe and go slow. And um, my doctor said, if someone is giving you a problem, she said, that is not good for your neurons and your brain. Walk away. Disconnect. Disengage. And that's not what I do. I just think we get along with everyone. And <laughs> I have disengaged with several people. It says, you know what? They're driving me nuts and they're making my neck turn. Mm. So, like, okay, I can't continue this relationship. And they were professional relationships of, of certain uh, sorts. Um, but, but, but actually to some extent there were some friendships where I just have pulled back and said, this person is not good for my neck and my neurons are not happy. And so, um, I have had to be willing. I, I sometimes with phone calls to say, I, I need to end this. And doctor has given me full permission. She says, you are not to bother your neurons. <laughs> So I have to have happy neurons, and, and that's for you. And, and that was helpful to surrender to She says, for you at this time in your life, you can't do that. And I said, okay. So just surrender, just recognize that. Right, and allowing your body to kind of teach you almost, or be like a meter to help you understand, like, yeah, when you're overtaxing or overstressing it. Yes, and it is. In, it was interesting. It has been interesting to me, um, kind of what I have been able to continue to do. And uh, one of the chapters in Reflections with God is about that protection by what I call Job's circle. If you remember the book of Job, is that when God told Satan, "You can do anything to this to Job, but you may not take his life." And so there's a sense of a circle was drawn around Job and you say, this is the boundary. So I thought about that circle of protection around me, and I said, what has been preserved? Well, one of the things that's been preserved is my work. So I'm an author, I'm a script consultant, I have to read, but reading is very difficult for me. It's a strain but when I read my scripts, I have a book prop, and we figured out how to do this. With, uh, so reading a novel is harder, but this book prop puts the book, puts the script at eye level, and I put my audio therapy on my ears while I do this, and that has been preserved. I've been able to keep up my work. Um, I've been able to keep up most of my travel, so I have uh, go abroad sometimes for you know, weeks and weeks and even seven weeks, I think, was the 
longest so far. Um, I've been able to do that when I, w- I was doing horseback riding and until uh, 2013, and the riding was very good for me, and I was mm. able to do that. Wow. And now um, I-, I grew up playing piano. I played off and on through the years. About a year ago, well, actually last April, I was able to go back to piano, and I'm taking piano lessons, and I'm getting a grand piano, which is ready to be delivered any day now. Wow, okay. And and I've gone back to singing. I'm in Sweet Adelines. I'm uh, taking voice lessons. Um, now I'm in my early 70s. So wow, I never would have known that. <laughs> yeah, and so my life is opening up in uh, another way, and it's like I have been given some of these things back that were taken away, and other things were protected. Uh, my marriage was protected. So we probably have even a better relationship. Our 32nd anniversary is this coming week. Um, a lot of my friendships, being being in my home, you know, sometimes medical problems make you lose your home. I have my dream house in Colorado Mountains, and that has been protected. So I think there's this, that just saying what has been preserved, what has been taken care of, that I can stand within the circle of protection and be very thankful. And in a way, it's what I call the in spite of. In Mm. spite of all that, you know, (laughs) other than that, awful stuff that has happened to you, how are you doing? Well, actually, there's a lot of stuff in my life that is good. And I tend to think in most people with these difficult problems, there are places that are protected. And I think we we show gratitude. We are we, to be really thankful to say that is something that's special. Um, thank you. Right. Yeah. To not just focus on what you're going through health wise, but to look around and see. Yeah, where the where you can be grateful in your life. That's beautiful. And I think the other thing is. Um, there is a lot of learning uh, that can go on. Uh, much of it you don't really, you didn't set out to learn it this way. You think, well, I would have just as soon taken a weekend class. <laughs> on this. <laughs> I would have been willing to spend the $800 to yeah, learn it that way. Right. But, but um, that's another reflection is, And I think this is part of where the spiritual side is. Everything, I think, has a possibility to be turned to good. Uh, There's a verse in the Bible that says, all things work for the good for those who love God. And so there's a sense about how do I help make something good come out of it, or the good that is coming out of it, how do I recognize it? And... um, I think one of the really good things that has come out of it for me has been compassion, that um, so many people suffer, and so many people that suffer don't have things that are, you know, you can't really see them. So you might look at me and not know what I go through every day because I'm so much improved. I look pretty normal most of the time. And sometimes you might see me putting my hand under my chin 
and just say, well, that's just a natural gesture. Um, but I always felt from the time I was in my 20s that I did not have enough compassion. Mm-hmm. I, I had other good qualities, but not that one. And I always admired the quality and wanted to have it. So I get the stony. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you go in for your therapies and the person next to you has MS and this other person has a, has a cane or a walker and this other person. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm with many people that have things and just call them things. And, and, it's, and I think there's a tendency of, of most of us to shy away. Like, if you get too close to that person, you might catch it. You know, MS could be contagious or whatever that problem is that the person has. And so there's a sense of, well, I don't know how to talk to them. Or if you do talk to them, people have advice. Um, this is one of the things I learned in many of us who have things say this is true, is p- m- many people are very uncomfortable being around people who suffer. And so the way to deal with it is either you avert your eyes and you move back and you don't talk to them, or you think very hard about what do I know about dystonia that I can tell Linda what to do in order to get cured. <laughs> and everybody has an opinion. You know, the reason why you have this is because, or the reason you're not cured yet is because you haven't done your affirmations and you're not positive thinking enough, or you haven't prayed enough, or you don't trust God enough, or you just need to meditate. Everybody has an you know, people have opinions on what you should be doing. Right. And um, and there and what I the conclusion I reach is that it is really uncomfortable to be around suffering. And if we could only tell that person what to do to get over it, it means that if I ever had something like that, I would know what to do to get over it and I wouldn't have to go through what Linda's going through. And um, so you you get all these opinions, which, like, you know, you really don't know what to say to the person except to maybe shorten the phone call or say, I have another appointment. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way to talk through that with someone who has that, you know, who has that thought. And um, it, it's kind of hard to know exactly what you know, what to say. So um, back to compassion was what I found is that when I um, took my mind and said, you know what, we're all human inside a difficult body that at least some of us have. And um, I started to try to relate to the person first just in a very human way, but I also tried to be open to them revealing things to me if they wished, because so many people don't want to be a sounding board. And I thought, if I can, you know, if someone starts to talk about it, if I can be compassionate or listen, and instead of giving advice, say, I am just so sorry 
about what you're going through, how are you finding the courage or who's helping you or you know, just, just something rather than going to advice. Right. And, um, and so I find I'm not afraid anymore. Uh, you know, my husband and I chose to sit next to somebody who's in a wheelchair, and I, I don't know what all these problems are, but I mean, really quite severely disabled and not even really able to talk, and she had a nurse with her. And eight years ago, I would not have sat at that table. Mm. And I find that I move into it um, rather than move out of that. And um, sometimes, you know, my friend comfortable with that is I just, you know, say, you know, I, I am. And there's no way around it. That it's, um, we, we do, I mean, the truth is, we suffer. Yes. And we all, if we haven't suffered yet, we probably will suffer at some point, or we are suffering now, or we suffered in the back, in the past. Um, Earth is not the perfect place. It's a wonderful place, but it does have some problems inherent in living on Earth. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I love your advice and just reminding folks because, yeah, I mean, I've found that my whole life. I'm typically more of a listener, but as soon as you bring up suffering or hurting, people just want to solve it, you know, wash their hands and then move on because it's so uncomfortable for them. And it's so hard to be out of control. Mm. And when you have something, you are out of control. And... um I, I had cancer three Christmases ago. It was uh, stage 2A. It was fairly early, and I had 20 sessions of radiation over Christmas vacation. And um, I was—I probably was not as afraid of it as some people because my mother had had it and friends had had it. And I'd been very close to friends that I just I went through, you know, took her to chemotherapy and all that. I didn't have to have chemo. I just had radiation. But... Um, and the cancer probably set me back by a year, so it undid the movement forward that we were having at that time. Um, but it was, again, is you go through these things and say, there's, there's just a whole lot of people that have had cancer or have cancer. And there's a lot of us that survive and are doing quite well, and there's a lot of people that don't. Hmm. And um, it's a, it's a very, you know, it, it, again, it, it's one of those things and you see the amazing courage of, of people that move into that and so yeah, I'm kind of privileged to be next to not only these people, to be next to doctors who are so kind and who work so hard to help us. Just they are giving their hearts and bodies and souls and everything they got because they really want us to do better, and they are and they are as committed to our healing as we are committed to our healing. And you say what, you know, just have to say what a blessing. Yeah, indeed. And and speaking of healing, I wanted to ask you because I found. Um, 
even though I, I love working with Holy Spirit, that there isn't a whole lot of people that talk about it or write about it. And I was just curious from your experience, like how do you work with Holy Spirit or, or what role does Holy Spirit play in your life and in your healing? Well, the thing is, um, I think the first thing is there's a tendency to say it's all about healing and getting better. And um, I, I do have to remind myself this, but I said, that is not the most important point. The most important point is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor is yourself. Mm. And when I tell myself that, I said, I can love God um, without being healed. <laughs> and so I can get the most important point, whether or not I'm lying on my deathbed or whether I am struggling you know, with the disease. And I think this goes back to this sense about we got to make it better. Everything in life, we got to make it better rather than living in the process. And there, the truth is, there are millions of spiritual people in this world that have all the right attitudes that are not going to get healed. And I mean, that's the reality, right? Yeah. I, I know yeah. lots of people had cancer, and you know what, some of them die, and some of them live with it, and some of them go to therapies, and they have four, you know, many rounds of chemo. That's the reality of living on this earth, and so I think there's a sense about, I'm sure I can control everything in my life and never have an accident and never have anything bad happen to me, and if I only had eaten more flaxseed and mushrooms, I would be fine. And, or that's what somebody says is you have to do, or you have to do this. You have to do your shakes every morning, and then you will be just perfect, and it will be you'll be whole and healed. Say, so, you know what? I did my shakes every morning, and you know what? It is, things just kept going just kind of how they were going. So um, I think there's one thing which has to do with spiritually being whole or at least as whole as you can. I, I had a friend who had AIDS and he, he died of AIDS about two and a half years after he was diagnosed. And before he died, he said, I'm healed. He said, now, I don't know about my body, but he said, I'm healed. And he had done a lot of work on himself, a lot of spiritual work for, he kept a good attitude and he did his part and he died. And, but, you know, he, he died, maybe that's what we mean by a state of grace, hmm. that you, you may not get healed from that thing you have, but you can still live and, and die in a state of grace with some peace. Um, and I watched this with my sister who had ALS, and it, it usually when, aside from Stephen Hawkins, Hawkins is that... Generally, when you get a diagnosis of ALS, you have about two to three years to live. Right. And understand Stephen Hawking's and what, why he lived that long. It's like you just don't understand it. Um, except I think that perhaps he lived that long so he could contribute so much. But my sister had surrendered to it, mm-hmm. and she was quite a religious person, had morning devotions with her nurse's aide that lived with them. And she had such grace and dignity 
And when people said to me, what a horrible thing, because she died at 62, I said, but you know what? What a witness she was to what it meant to die with grace. Mm. And and to not have secrets. If we, we knew she was going to die. I would even say, do you have a sense of when you're going to die? And she just said, it's the Lord's timing. And you look at that and you say, at the age of 62, she was probably a greater witness than she would have been at the age of 90, dying of natural causes. She inspired everyone. And for me to be close to that, we, we just adored each other. She was a year and a half older than me. But you look at that and you say, well, what, what is life really about? Is it about me getting all better? Yes, I would like that. I would be really, really happy. But is, is that really what's important here at the kernel or the core of life? And I've kind of reached the conclusion, no, that, that healing happens at other levels and that maybe the other levels are just are important. And yes, oh my goodness, I would just be so happy if this were no longer part of my life. Wow, I wish yeah. I could have an operation for this or something. But um, it's, it's like I have to remind myself it is not the most important thing in life, even though I work every day toward that. And we'll see what happens. There's going to be a very big party if I get healed. <laughs> Yeah, and thank you. So I personally, I really found your answer. I've just learned so much just just in that one question, not just this whole interview. But I loved what you said at the beginning of the answer, which is, I can love God whether I am healed or not. And I don't know, just for me, that really spoke because I think it's easy to lose sight of that very simple fact, especially if you're dealing with an illness and you're trying to I guess, call in Holy Spirit or God or whatever and say, heal me. But you're absolutely right. That's so powerful, just loving God. And a long illness does test you in different ways. Short one. I mean, when you break an arm and the doctor says it will take this long, you say, okay, I mean, as long as I do everything, (laughs) generally they know how it's going to go. So with dystonia... No one knows how it's going to go, and no one can say that. And, the, you know, so the truth is, like, we'll see. You know, I said, yeah, we're just going to go through this. We're going to go through this process. But I, I think the other thing, when you're in any kind of a suffering place, um, people say this differently, is that, In a sense, you're in a place where you can be tempted. Now, some some Christians say Satan is attacking you. You know, you were successful, you were still, you know, a spiritual person. Satan doesn't like that, and so they will personalize Satan and just say the devil's after you, and you have to resist. Other people will say there's kind of a shadow or there's a whole or there's something, um, it's kind of like in the book of Job, as curse God. There is a real temptation to turn away from God or to just say, I, I don't want any kind of relationship. God is not here for me, so let me just back away from it. And 
there is this thing about saying I don't want to go there. I do. I. I and I had to keep telling myself often. Um, I thought of Luther, where they said, "Where do you stand?" As I, I, you know, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. And I said, "I stand on God's side, whether or not at the moment I feel that God is standing on my side, because where else can you stand but on the side of love and goodness and kindness?" There isn't any other place to be. And um, when I was going through a lot of uh, many months with this, I at times almost sensed a shadow. It was just over my left shoulder, just over to my left. And I could sense that shadow trying to get me to debate it. Hmm. about God doesn't care about you or let's discuss this. And one of the things I learned many years ago is you don't debate with with the shadow, you know, with whatever you want to call that shadowy mm-hmm. sense. Every night I, when I felt that shadow, I would say, I am not yours, you don't get me. And I said that, I bet this went on for three months. Hmm. It was... Now, not every night did I sense that shadow, but but it was certainly just a very difficult months to go through. And at one point, the shadow disappeared. Hmm. It, it, just, it was like I almost, you know, you don't know whether you're, what your mind is projecting, but it was as if the shadows slunk away, just went slinking away. And, it, and that was probably five years ago now, and it hasn't. Um, been back, but I just kept saying that, and I kept and I kept saying I stand within God's circle, and I imagined a circle around me, and I just said, no, we we have nothing to discuss. <laughs> it's like I don't care, you know. It's like well, God hasn't been helping you. I said I don't care. Hmm. I don't care whether God is helping me today. I don't care anything. I stand with God because there's no other place to stand, and you don't get me. No matter how much you try to debate me, you don't get me. I'm not yours, and I will not be yours. And I was so clear about that. It was like, okay, I'll go find somebody else (laughs) because it's just not working. you know. And I, I think there is that thing of us just being very clear as, no matter how I experience the Spirit or what I think God is doing for me right now, I'm not going to stand any other place. And that's, that's just how it is. It is not debatable. We're not going to discuss it. And, you know, people who want to discuss with me the existence of God, I say, I don't even go there. I have no interest in that discussion. Mm-hmm. But we're it, it was handled when I was 23. <laughs> that just got, you know, I have other discussions to do, which is where is, you know, how is God for me at this moment, or mm-hmm. how am I doing, and what's happening, and, and yes, I would still like you to heal me. Um, but there's other discussions, but not that one. That's beautiful. I really love hearing that. Yeah, I mean, that makes such a huge difference when you're clear within your own mind about your relationship with God, and there's no need to, yeah, debate or discuss with anybody else. Yeah. And there's another, there's another idea here that became very important to me. 
um, there's a lot of verses in the Bible about how somebody who was humble got exalted and got raised up, you know, King David and Oh, Job, at the end of his life, got raised up and things were even better. I mean, quite a number of verses. And that is one of the things that we expect is that as we grow, you know, what do you say, as we grow in Christ, as we grow in the Holy Spirit, as we grow spiritually, however we want to say that, that um, things seem to get smoother and more peaceful and more harmonious and all that. But there's the other thing, which is um, the Good Samaritan story, which has really helped me. So, you know, the man has fallen among thieves, and he's lying on the side of the road, moaning and bloody and beaten and ready to die, and everyone's passing him by, the priests and all the holy people, all the people that you would expect to help. And um, the person who stops to help this Jewish man is a Samaritan. Now, the Jews hated Samaritans, and they were natural enemies. And so Jesus is telling this story to a group of Jews to say the model of humanity is that person that you hate, like like saying the Ku Klux Klan, it's the black man. That's the model of humanity of what you're supposed to do. And so the Samaritan comes and helps this man and takes him in and pays and you know, make sure he's taken care of. Now, Jesus then says, go and do likewise. And we tend to think, go and do likewise, which is to help other people who have fallen, you know, who are broken. And Christianity is really a lot about that which is broken being, you know, healed or made whole. I mean, it's about the marginalized, the oppressed. But a theologian named Karl Barth said, there's another level to this story. Go and recognize you are the person who has fallen among thieves, who are battered and broken, and you have to have somebody come in and take care of you. You are dependent for your very life on this person, and that person who helps you may not be the person you expect. You know, it may not be the the noted surgeon or doctor. It may not be the um, eloquent minister. It might be the least of, just who knows who it is, and you are the least of these. You, Instead of your statue of a successful person who's doing well, where you've been exalted, you have been brought down to the vulnerable least of these places and say, yes, recognize you are vulnerable. You are in that place of need. And I guess I would say surrender to it and and be thankful for all those wonderful people who are the good Samaritans in your life to you and all the, the boundaries that can be crossed, you know, the boundaries that can be crossed. So... Um, so that's kind of a, you know, thing you're, this kind of thing that you're thinking of is how does that all, you know, how do you, how do you allow yourself to be the least of these? That's a beautiful reminder. Um, 
Yes, thank you so much. I mean, I've, I've learned so much from you. I wish we could keep talking, but uh, basically we're, we have about a minute left, and I wanted to make sure that people knew uh, how to find you, get a hold of you, or where to get um, the book Reflections with God While Waiting to be Healed. Yeah, well, Reflections with God While Waiting to be Healed is available on Amazon. You can go to my website. My name is Linda Sager, and that's the website, and you'll see a little place to go for the spiritual side of this. Um, S-E-G-E-R. Just think of Bob Seeger. <laughs> so Seeger.com, and you can Google me. And so I have six books on spiritual, um, on the spiritual side, and I have nine books on screenwriting that fit with my career uh, in, in the film industry. So um, I hope it's a helpful book to many people. Yeah, I just want to say again, just for me, having read Reflections with God, uh, especially um, some people know I've been going through some health issues. This has been very helpful for me. And I know that there's people out there in, in the audience that are also going through their own version. And I love the idea that, yeah, we may never be healed. And all that really matters is the relationship that we have with God and with everybody around us. You know, how much love can we bring through despite what our bodies might be going through? That's so be- such a beautiful message. Thank you, Linda. If you'd like to learn more about Deepening with the Divine or Scott Kreitza, please visit kreitza.com, K-R-Y-T-S-A dot You can sign up for my newsletter and receive a free ebook download, as well as many surprises and gifts throughout the year. The world needs more people like you, God-minded and spirit workers.